Amen. Children, you are dismissed. Let's take our Bibles, please, turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, as we continue in our series through the book of Mark. And tonight, uh, if the Lord is willing, we'll continue on the battle of the ages. We'll be on the fourth message there, the third point of attack. And uh, that man made God, or God made man in his image. Of course, that's something that's under attack today. And so let's, let's turn to the Word of God tonight, Mark chapter 11, or this morning, sorry. Mark chapter 11, I'm already ahead of myself. And I want to congratulate the Ashbys on Friday. They celebrated 50 years of marriage. And so praise the Lord, and we always like to acknowledge that in good and godly marriages. And uh, we praise the Lord for uh, God's grace in their lives. They had folks, I guess, from the United States and from across Canada come and brothers and brothers-in-laws and sisters and sister-in-laws and lots of family come and celebrated with them and had a good meal together. And so more coming in today. And so they'll look forward to seeing grandkids today. And so that's even more fun. So praise the Lord. And uh, so what a blessing. Uh, if you live long enough to have grandkids, let me tell you, that is awesome. That, that has been one of the joys of our life to have grandkids. And uh, my uh, grandson, I'm going to tell you a grandson story. How's that? He, uh, we got a little video from Emily the other day, and, and uh, he's, learned, he's one year old, and he learned to whistle. And he throws his head back, and, he, and we thought she was using like a train whistle and just messing with us, but she's not. He can whistle. Isn't that something? Praise the Lord. And so the joy of the Lord, hey, bad? And so it's a lot of fun. And uh, I know adults can't even whistle, so he's a pretty smart kid. Amen. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And uh, let's look here. We're going to look at an interlude, if you will. And I've called it this morning, a parable and a prophecy. A parable and a prophecy. It's not a parable in the traditional sense that the Lord Jesus Christ is telling a story with a spiritual meaning behind it, but instead, it's a living parable. And you'll see what I mean by that. It just seems like the Lord is demonstrating something through his actions and his words. He's not sitting down with a crowd of people or a bunch of disciples or followers and telling them a story, but instead he's living a moment in time, and from it we learn something today that we can apply to our lives. That Most parables have a spiritual truth, and this parable is no different in that it gives us a prophecy something to be aware of. And so let's look at the scriptures this morning in Mark chapter 11. And if you'll direct your attention to verse 12, you'll remember the first 11 verses a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that we looked at the different levels of servanthood and how we should serve unselfishly and we should give and do all those things that we learned from that passage of scripture by the folks that were involved in the triumphal entry. But I want you to see now the Bible says in verse 11, or sorry, verse 12 of Mark chapter 11, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, to the tree. Can you imagine talking to a tree? But when you are the God of all creation, you can do whatever you want. And by the way, the tree has to answer for it. And notice what it says. No man eat fruit of the of hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now look down to verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, 
The fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, with your word today. As we look at this brief interlude, this little story that jumps up in the middle of of some, some very monumental events in the life of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn what the Lord would have us to learn from it today. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Lord, I I desperately need your help, Lord, with my vision and with the Spirit of God especially, that you would fill me, I surrender to you, and that you would speak through me, Lord, that the Spirit of God might find each heart and each soul in this place. Lord, if there's one that knows not Christ, Lord, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Oh, God, would you stir their hearts and speak to them even now? I pray, Lord, that even right now, Lord, that you would strike them in their seats to a place of being uncomfortable under the preaching of the word. Oh God, we we don't mean to be unkind, but Lord, we desperately understand the need of the day. I believe Jesus could come at any moment. I, I believe that you could require our life in a moment. We are just a heartbeat away from heaven or hell. And I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to hearts and move in this place. And Lord, if one is not saved, that today would be their day of salvation. So help us, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first 11 verses of the book of Mark, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ rode triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says that the people threw palms and their clothes in his way, and as he rode on the back of that donkey, they cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It was a triumphal moment to be sure. And the Bible says that as he entered into Jerusalem, he went directly to the temple there on the mount. And he entered into the temple and he did something that I find a little odd, I guess. The Bible says he just looked around. He beheld all things. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was taking stock of what he saw. For in just a few hours, he would come back and cleanse the temple, and he he would make that famous statement that, my father's house is to be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Perhaps that night, as the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the temple mount and perused all that was going on, and he saw the money changers, he never wanted anybody to think he was acting in an outburst or in anger. And so he went away and quietly contemplated through the night. The Bible says in another passage of Scripture that he would literally sit on the steps and weave a scourge as he would go in and discipline those who had turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. I wonder that night as the Lord Jesus Christ looked around that temple place, I wonder what he saw. We know that he saw the money changers set up and no doubt it discouraged his heart. But I imagine... The Lord, with the eyes of God, would look through into that place of sacrifice where the blood of lambs was being spilt. The priest would take his finger and he would throw that blood everywhere as a sign that it covers all. And perhaps Jesus thought in his heart, in just a week, that will be me. I wonder if he looked through with spiritual eyes and could see the table of showbread. If he could see the lampstand. If he could see all that is signified. And when he looks upon that bread, the table of showbread, thinking, I am the bread of life. And when he sees that lampstand, I am the light of the world. And when he looks a little further, and sees the wash basin before they go into the Holy of Holies, says to himself, 
I am the one who will cleanse all men from their sins and make them fed to enter into the Holy of Holies. That curtain that hangs there will only be there another week, for my Father will rent it from top to bottom the moment I die on the cross. Perhaps in that moment, the Lord Jesus Christ took in all those things. But the Bible says he retreated that night to Bethany. He would leave the city of Jerusalem and he would go to Bethany. And I don't remember exactly how far it is, but the Bible labels it in furlong, so it wasn't that far. He would travel there with the disciples and they would spend the night. And the next morning, he would go back to the temple and he would cleanse the temple. And we'll look at that next time. But on the way, he comes to a fig tree. The Bible says from a distance, the Lord saw the fig tree and it had leaves. Now, when we think of the fig tree, we, we think automatically our minds go to Mark chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 24, where it says here a parable of the fig tree. When it begins to put forth leaves, and scholars over the centuries have, have helped us understand that the fig tree is a representation of Israel. And that as it puts forth leaves, it's talking about the rebirth of Israel and, and that at some point that, that we are to know that by the putting forth of leaves, we are to know that summer is nigh and it is upon us and that the Lord Jesus Christ will return in splendor and glory and, and God gave us those signs to look for. I don't know, to be honest with you, in Mark chapter 11, if this is the same type of imagery or if it's prophetic in that sense, but here we are with a fig tree once again. The Lord saw it from afar off. And, and it began to beg some questions in my mind. Because as he sees the tree, the Bible says it had leaves, and he thought, well, I'm hungry. It sounds like, if I'm reading the scripture correctly, he voiced it out loud. He said to the disciples, guys, guys, I'm hungry. I'm going to go over to this fig tree and hopefully find something to eat. But it did beg a couple of questions in my mind. Number one, let me ask you, does it seem odd to you that the Lord would say he was hungry? I know at the well he said, I thirst, but there was another reason for it, wasn't there? It was so that he could give living water to a Samaritan woman and teach her a valuable lesson about who he was. In the past, we have seen when the Lord Jesus Christ needed any food, he would just fill the nets until they begin to break. He would pray over some loaves and fish and he would feed 5,000 or he'd feed 4,000. Another time when the disciples thought he was hungry, he said, I have meat to eat of that ye know not of. And my meat is to do the Father's will. And so when Jesus says he's hungry, I have to think in my heart, that he's probably not complaining here. This is not about his physical hunger. Now, he may have been hungry. It was breakfast time. He may have actually needed something to eat. And, but but I, I don't believe that this is, what this is what this is all about. The other question that came to my mind was this. How come Jesus didn't know there was no figs on the tree? The Bible plainly says it was not the season for figs. The leaves had started growing, but there was no fruit on the tree yet. It was too soon. How many of you think Jesus might have known that? Is he not the God of creation? I, I mean, did he not walk on the water? 
Did he not raise the dead to life? The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 47 that even as a child, he had wisdom. The Bible says later in that very same chapter, we find the Lord Jesus Christ at 12 years of age sitting in the temple and he was hearing and answering the Pharisees and the doctors of law. Jesus had all kinds of wisdom and knowledge. He was God in the flesh. And so I have to believe in my heart that he knew there'd be no figs there. And so because I believe that this wasn't about his personal hunger, and I believe that this was not about a lack of knowledge of the seasons, I believe there's a lesson that we can learn. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was using this last week of his life to teach the disciples an important lesson. Let's see if we can dig that out this morning, if we would. Notice, first of all, if you will, as we read the scriptures again, look at verse 12 with me. The Bible says this in verse 12, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. I want you to think with me this morning as we talk about this, what I'm calling a parable and a prophecy, and, and again, not a verbal story, but instead a living story. I want you to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ behaves in such a way that we can take a spiritual truth from it. And I, I want you to notice the first thing we notice this morning is we see a careless profession. A careless profession. Think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has seen in this tree. And from a, a distance, he sees the leaves on the tree. And if it were you and I, we might say, oh, look, there's, there's leaves on the tree. And perhaps maybe some early figs have come. And the weather has been a little warmer this year. Have you ever talked about like that, about different crops? Just a, a few weeks ago, Brother Bruce Fry was with us. And, and uh, we were going down to Port Dover to look around a little bit one day. And on our way there... I, I pulled into my mom's place, and I, we were just talking about, and he was looking at the fields and asking about what we grew here, and, and being from North Carolina, you know, they have some similar crops, but we have some things. He'd never seen a ginseng field before. He didn't know what that was, and, and different things that we would grow, and so I, I said, well, right now, raspberries are on, and he says, oh, man, raspberries. I said, yeah, I'm not sure that you've had these before, though. They're black raspberries. He says, what is that? Can you imagine growing up in there? I mean, what a horrible life. And so I said, well, let's, let's go find some black raspberries. So we pulled into my mom's place, and we went in. And raspberries were a little bit early this year, and they were just finishing up. And so we got on Mom and Frank's golf cart, and we went looking for raspberries, and we found some bushes, and we, I picked a bunch. And Man, can you imagine the disappointment? I hyped those things up. I said, they're even better when they're in a pie. I mean, this is good stuff. I hyped all that up, and you get there, and there's nothing there. For you and I, I, I watch for those things. I, I'm, I'm not big on cherries. I, I don't like cherries all that much. But I, I like watching the fields and see, oh, I see some red strawberries over there. You can drive down the Blue Line Road today and you can see apples hanging in the trees. And you can see the crops are coming on. And, and boy, I don't know, you can't hardly drive anywhere without your mouth watering right now. And the disciples might have saw that fig tree and said, you know, Lord, maybe there's something hanging on. We see the leaves and it's, the weather has been just right. Maybe they're a bit early, but the Lord knew. 
And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that tree professed something it was not. From a distance, it looked like a fruit-bearing tree, but it really wasn't. I want to make that comparison this morning to a lot of people that call themselves Christians. A lot of people that look like Christians or name the name of Christ. And by the way, when the Ten Commandments tell us that we are not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, I believe that's exactly what it means. I don't believe it's talking about using the Lord's name like a cuss word. And by the way, you ought not do that. That's disrespectful and dishonoring to our God. But to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, a Jewish person will tell you that means to call yourself a child of God and not act like one. We take the name of Christ or the name of Christian and not behave in such a way that brings glory to Christ. A careless profession. And notice a couple things about that. We see, first of all, that it was a a profession of fruitfulness. If you will, turn back to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7. And I want you to see a couple passages in, in that chapter. In Matthew chapter 7, we see a profession of fruitfulness. You know, a lot of believers will talk a good talk, won't they? They'll say, you know, I've done a lot of things for the Lord. I used to drive buses, or I used to work on the bus roads, or I used to work in the nursery class, or I used to teach a Sunday school class. And, and listen, that is not the standard of Christianity. The only question you'll ever be asked is, have you been born again? Do you know Jesus? And and you'll never be able to fool anybody because if you are, your name is written in the book of life. But notice this profession, if you will, of uh, fruitfulness today. In Matthew chapter 7, we read in verse 17, it says, Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a uh, corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And notice that next verse. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. There's a lot of people today that call themselves Christian, but there's no fruit in their lives. I feel like in some part, that's what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. Look at this tree that promises fruit, and yet when I come here to be uh, filled, I, I leave dissatisfied. There's no fruit to be had. Let me ask you, Christian, does that describe your life? Perhaps you come to church because your family thinks you're a Christian and you don't want to lose that status in their eyes. You don't want them nagging you about spiritual things. But when God speaks and moves in a service, nothing touches your heart or life. When you read the Bible, it seems dead to you. And friends, is there fruit in your life? You may fool all the disciples in this room, but you'll never fool Christ. It was a profession of fruitfulness, but it was also a professional faithfulness. Look at verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wondrous works. 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They profess that there was fruit in their lives, and even so much that they say, Lord, we have been faithful. We've prophesied. We've cast out devils. We've done this and we've done that and we've done everything under the sun. But if I could quote the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the young ruler, one thing thou lackest. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Listen, if you're a professor only and not a possessor of Christ, you're as lost as anybody else in the world and on your way to a Christless eternity. I'm just going to be straight with you this morning. As the Lord Jesus Christ came to that fig tree, he was looking for some fruit. Now, I don't know if there were some in the disciples that were maybe botanists or such or studied these things, but I'm not that good at it. As a matter of fact, you can help me if you would. You know, I cannot look at a tree and tell you what kind of tree it is unless I see its fruit. If you were to say to me, well, this is an apple tree or a cherry tree, I can't tell the difference. I'm going to be honest with you. We have a tree sitting over on the corner of the parking lot that you all sit under for chicken on the grounds. And it's got those big, long things that look like beans. I don't know what that is. I have asked 100 people, what kind of tree is that thing? All I know is it makes up a mess all over our yard all the time. And it's just, it's a nasty looking tree, really. But it gives shade. And we use it one day a year for chicken on the grounds, and we enjoy it. And I, I said, somebody said, let's cut that tree down and make such a mess. I said, you cut that tree down. I said, you'll get everybody angry at chicken on the grounds day. I said, I'm just telling you. I cannot tell a tree unless I see its fruit. But a tree that doesn't bear fruit, what does Jesus say about it? It's to be hewn down and cast into the fire. It is of no use. To God. I want to caution you today about being a professor only and not a possessor of Christ. Notice the second thing. We see, first of all, a careless profession, but we see, secondly, a careful examination. Back in Mark chapter 11 and verse 13, we see that after they approach this tree, it says, And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, Look what it says next. He came. If haply he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. Let me take a survey in here this morning. How many of you men go looking for something and you can't find it, but your wife finds it right away? Is that, is that your testimony? How many ladies would testify to that? Hun, I looked all over. Well, did you look in the cupboard? No, then you didn't look all over. Right? Man, we just, well, no, I don't see it. How many of you think Jesus inspected the tree like that? I don't. It says he found no fruit, only leaves. I think if you were to go to a fig tree and you honestly thought that it had fruit upon it, you might say, well, somebody's picked a lot of the fruit, but maybe if we look up high or if we dig into the branches a little bit, maybe we'll find a couple pieces that they missed. But the Lord came to the tree and said, there's no fruit at all. 
I just want to tie this to saying that he made a careful examination. That's exactly what the Lord does with a fruitless life. He's going to examine us carefully. I'm not trying to spiritualize this scripture in any way because I'm going to take you to other scriptures to prove that point to you. And undergird it with the truth of the word of God this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, an examination discloses some things. It reveals some things. The Lord from a distance saw a fig tree with leaves, but when he got closer and took a closer look and examined that tree, he, it revealed some things to him about the tree. That's why we go to a doctor, isn't it? We want to be examined that some things will be revealed. Uh, and men, I sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'm bad for going to the doctor. I'm not good at that. Because my opinion is, is if, if I don't know about it, then I don't have it. Amen. Right? You know, I told my wife one time, I said, here's how you'll find out I have cancer, the autopsy. I said, I'm terrible about going to the doctor for things. And, you know, and so, but that's what an examination is for, to reveal certain things to us. And so we see that this examination disclosed some things. It revealed some things. You know, God knows the heart of man. The Bible says that the Spirit of God searcheth the hearts. In Romans chapter 8. And you can profess that you're a child of God and you can profess that you're a Christian, but if you don't possess Christ, he looks upon our heart and he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. The Lord is always examining. In John chapter 3, we read of Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews who came to Jesus by night. And he began to ask Jesus questions. He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God, for no man can do with these things. And Jesus looked at him and he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What was he saying to Nicodemus? Don't worry about all those questions right now. You're lost. You need Jesus. Did Nicodemus get saved? Absolutely. The Bible says later on that Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, was one that helped bury the body of Christ, became one of his disciples, one of his followers. What a wonderful story of redemption. But Christ could examine his heart and his life and know that he was lost instantly. I say, you must be born again. Oh, I wish we could look into the souls of man. I wish as Bible-believing Christians we could go out with the gospel of Christ and we could look at somebody and say, I believe they're, I know they're saved or I know they're lost. Wouldn't it make it so much easier to be able to share the gospel? Can I tell you this morning that Christ is looking in your heart right now? And he knows if you're saved and he knows if you're lost. The Bible talks that one day he will open up the book of life and whosoever is not found written in the book of life shall be cast in lake of fire. That's an interesting concept, really, because God doesn't need a book. He knows them that are his. The scripture says so. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Christ knows who belongs to him. He said, then why the book? I believe it's so he can show everybody else. Your name's not here. 
Christ is examining your heart this morning. And he knows if you're saved or lost. You can fool everybody in this room. You could be baptized by water immersion. You could teach a class. You could do whatever you think portrays righteousness. But all of our righteousness but filthy rags. Are you born again? An examination discloses, but an examination also disappointed. Upon looking upon this tree, the Lord Jesus Christ came away and it says he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. The Lord was disappointed. Now understand this, I don't believe the Lord ever got frustrated. He got angry. Do you know it's okay to be angry? The Bible says be angry and sin not. The Lord was angry when he weaved a scourge and cleaned out the temple. That's a human emotion. But I don't believe he was frustrated. Frustration is our overwhelming sense of self. When things aren't going the way I think they should, then I get frustrated. I don't believe Jesus ever got frustrated because he knew what was about to happen. But the examination disappointed him and he cursed the tree. Let me ask you, when the Lord looks upon your life, what does he see? See, the Lord is not willing that any should perish. Is he disappointed when he looks into my heart? And ask the question, how many times have you heard the gospel? How many times have I extended mercy and grace? How many times have I offered to forgive? How many times have people witnessed to you and told you about life eternal? And you would not. Is he disappointed? Is he hurt that we might reject him? But I see thirdly in this passage a coming judgment. In verse 14, Jesus said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. In verse 20, we see what happens next. And in the morning, the next day, as they pass by, they say the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith to him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. No more chances. No more opportunities. The Lord Jesus Christ came to the tree and he inspected the fruit. And he walked away, having pronounced judgment. But he returned. And the tree was withered and dead. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15, it's quite a familiar passage to most. The Bible says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in me, and abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now I believe those first several verses are talking about the believer. Some who are fruitful and some who are not. The branch that is grafted and, and, and trusts in the Lord and is empowered by Christ will do many great things. But there are some branches that are cast aside because they refuse to walk with Christ. But notice verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. We abide not in Christ. Let me ask you, do you know the Lord today? Are you engrafted to the vine? Are you just a withered branch that one day will be cast into the burning fire? These are serious questions this morning. It's not allegorical. Hell is a real place. The Bible says there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13, an important passage with our message this morning. Matthew chapter 13, and notice, if you will, in verse 36. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 36. And Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, how many of you know, just let me just ask you this before we get too far, how many of you know that tares are not wheat? That's pretty simple, isn't it? How many of you know that sheep are not goats? How many of you know that the lost are not saved? How many of you know that the dead are not found in the book of life? The Bible says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. If you are lost, you are dead spiritually lost and on your way to hell. And notice what it says about these tares as we read in verse 37. He answered and said unto them, he's defining this parable he gave, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? The wheat is the, the seed is the wheat and it is, belongs to God, but the tares are the seeds of the wicked one, the children of the wicked one. Verse 39, the enemy that sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the uh, reapers are the angels and therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then saith the righteous, shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's pretty simple, isn't it? If you were to look at a wheat field with the tares mixed in, unless you're an experienced farmer, you might not tell the difference. They say that these tares are a certain type of weed that grows with the wheat, and it's so similar that even the trained eye sometimes struggles 
That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said, don't pull up the terrace until harvest because you may pull up the good wheat with it. In other words, you may not know the difference. I'm here to say you can sit in the pew and you can look just like everybody else. You can sing the hymns. You can do the works of man's righteousness. But you can be lost. There is a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, As is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The parable is a life parable. We see the Lord Jesus Christ teaching a lesson through his actions, don't we? I don't believe for a moment that he was unaware there was no figs on that tree. I believe he was trying to teach his disciples something. But what is the spiritual truth? That every life will be laid bare before God and judgment is coming. I do not know. I do not know if you're saved. I, I've preached a lot of funerals over the years. And usually with quite a bit of confidence, you can say, I believe that they knew the Lord. I believe that they walked with God, or I believe that they're in heaven today. But I'm not 100% sure. Because the Spirit doesn't bear witness with my heart that Brother Roberts is saved. He bears witness with my heart that I'm saved. And honestly, until we get through the gates of pearl and we see one another, we won't know for sure. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment this morning. And let me just challenge you to take some time and do that right now. Are you saved or are you lost? Are you a wheat or a tear? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? If the world looks at you, do they see a fig tree? Even though you have no fruit? That's the real question, isn't it? Through this passage, the Lord is teaching my heart. There's a lot of trees out there that look like it, but they're not the real thing. They'll leave you dissatisfied. And one day they'll be cursed. I don't wish that upon anybody. We don't preach hellfire and brimstone because we want people to go there. We're trying to warn you that hell is real, but there's a Savior who loves you. And he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And that by putting your faith in him, he has already taken all the punishment for your sin. You won't have to pay it yourself but you must be forgiven. You must have your sins washed away by his precious blood. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And if God has spoke to your heart, would you come? Maybe there's one here who said, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm, I'm that fig tree that Jesus is talking about. I just, I look like all the other Christians around me, but there's no real fruit. By their fruits, you shall know them. Listen, when I say fruits, I'm not, I'm not talking about works of righteousness or acts. You know what the Bible says? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. Has God changed your life and your heart so that that's what's flowing forth? A pastor friend of mine 
told me years, years ago about his mother-in-law. Her name is, she's gone to heaven now, but her name was Kuella. Isn't that a different name? Kuella. C-U-E-L-L-A. And he says, but we always called her Cruella. I guess there's some Disney character that's a mean witch or something, and her name's Cruella. We called her Cruella. He said she was the most miserable human being. She went to church. She professed to know the Lord. And he says she worked in the Sunday school. She worked in the nursery. She did all these things, sang in the choir. But she was the most miserable person you ever met. She didn't treat her children well. She didn't treat her grandchildren well. She was miserable. And about 10 years before she died, he says something happened. He said a complete change took over her life. She became one of the sweetest ladies. Even, even loving on her son-in-law. He says there was a, such a transformation that her daughter finally said, Mom, did you get saved? She never said whether she did or didn't. She just smiled big. But all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit came forth in her life. And it testified, you shall know them by their fruits. Has Christ changed your life? Are you in the faith? Does there one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I, I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise I won't call it your name. And nobody's looking. Could I, could I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand? Is there one? Is there one? I look across the room and I say, everybody looks the same. Men are dressed like men, women like women. We all smile and shake hands when we come in. If you were to say, are they Christians? I'd say, well, probably. But I'm not the one that does the final examination. We'll all stand before God. Are you absolutely sure you're ready for that? Are you saved today? Is there one?